Today's passage is an absolute cracker, isn't it? It's a real page-turner. I mean, it's got all the makings of a great romantic comedy. It's got a scheming mother-in-law who, did you notice at the start of chapter 3, tries to set her daughter-in-law up with a wealthy, eligible bachelor. It's got a romantic midnight rendezvous as Ruth sneaks up to the threshing floor to meet Boaz. It's got a high-stakes property deal in chapter 4 between our hero Boaz and a potential rival. It's full of mystery and suspense and intrigue and excitement and tension and drama. At times, as you're reading, it just makes you smile. At other times, you're on the edge of your seat with your heart racing, wanting to know how it's going to turn out. Like most romantic comedies, it's a story about a man and a woman and it's about falling in love. Of course, like any good romantic comedy, it's got a happy ending. There's a wedding and a baby. It really is a cracking read. But this bit of Ruth, it's also more than just a good read. See, it's not just a story about falling in love. It's also a story about redemption. It's not just a story about a man and a woman. It's also a story about God and his unfailing love. In fact, this bit of Ruth, it is a story about how God has shown his loving kindness by providing a redeemer. And it's that that makes sense of all the other exciting stuff that happens in this bit of Ruth. And so hopefully as we work our way through all these exciting events, hopefully it'll build up this picture for us that God really has shown his loving kindness to his people by providing a redeemer. So let's have a look. We'll start with Ruth chapter 3 and verse 1. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours? Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now, what on earth is all that about? I mean, it almost sounds a bit risque and a bit raunchy, doesn't it? Wash yourself. Put some perfume on. Get dressed up in your best clothes. Sneak down to the threshing floor. Lie down next to Boaz. It almost seems like the start of a cheap romance novel. And look... There's no doubt there is an element of romance here. I mean, pretty clearly there's some chemistry going on between Ruth and Boaz. But at the same time, I don't actually think there's anything improper going on here. I don't think we need to read these verses and see them as being full of sexual connotations. In fact, I think what is going on here is that all these events are really leading us to verse 9, where Ruth approaches Boaz to act as her kinsman redeemer. See, what happens is that during the night, Boaz wakes up up and he notices this woman lying at his feet and naturally he asks, who are you? And in verse 9, Ruth replied, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Everything that's been happening in those first eight verses has been building up to this point. It's been building up to Ruth approaching Boaz to act as a kinsman redeemer. Now, what even is a kinsman redeemer? Well, a kinsman redeemer is something or someone, really, that was commanded by God in the law. And basically, a kinsman redeemer is a close 
often wealthy or influential relative, to whom members of the family could turn for help. Usually when the family line or possessions or property were in danger of being lost. Now I've put a couple of references in the outline that you might want to look up later on, but essentially what they say is that a kinsman redeemer was responsible for things like buying back family land that was sold during a crisis or perhaps because of poverty. The kinsman redeemer was responsible for buying back slave, uh, enslaved relatives or for providing an heir for a dead relative. Essentially, the kinsman redeemer was responsible for just generally caring for and protecting relatives in difficult circumstances. Now, the fact that God even commanded those kind of things in the law says a bit about his loving kindness, doesn't it? Because of his loving kindness, God has a particular concern for the poor and the weak and the vulnerable and the needy. And so he actually commanded his people to provide and protect for the poor and the weak and the vulnerable and the needy. In a sense, God has shown his loving kindness by commanding his people to act as kinsmen redeemers for one another. In any case, here in verse 9, Ruth appeals to Boaz to act as her kinsman redeemer. And I think that's what she meant when she said, spread the corner of your garment over me. Because it's a bit hard to see in our English translations, but that's actually the same thing that Boaz said back in chapter 2 and verse 12. Back then, remember, he said that Ruth had come to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh. It's the same phrase. And so I think what Ruth is saying here is, let me seek refuge under your wings. Be my kinsman redeemer. Protect me, provide for me, care for me. Be the kind of kinsman redeemer that God commanded in the law. Now that's a big call for Boaz. Will he do it? Will Boaz be the kind of kinsman redeemer that God commanded in the law? Will Boaz obey God? Let's pick it up from verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. What's going on here? Well, earlier, Ruth identified Boaz as a kinsman redeemer, and he certainly qualifies as one. Back in chapter 2 and verse 20, Naomi said that he was a close relative. Remember that? And back at the very start of chapter 2, we read that he was from the clan of Elimelech, which means he was a blood relative, which all qualifies him to be a kinsman redeemer. We also know from chapter 2 that he was a landowner and a man of standing, which presumably means he had the resources to act as a kinsman redeemer. And now here, he's also expressing his willingness to do it. Did you see? My daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. In other words, I will spread the corner of my garment over you. I will give you refuge. I will care for you. You've invited me to act as your kinsman redeemer, and that's exactly what I plan to do. But there's a catch. You see what he says next? All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin... There is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Now that's a problem. Because although it's true that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, it turns out that there is another kinsman redeemer who is closer than Boaz. In other words, this other guy is more closely related to Elimelech. And the one who is closer has the first responsibility and in fact the first right to redeem. And so how's all this going to be resolved? Well, let's keep reading. Stay here for the night, Boaz said. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. 
But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. And that's not really the answer we're looking for, is it? Because we want Boaz to redeem Ruth. I mean, they're in love. They're supposed to get married and live happily ever after. How can this other guy get in the way? But the thing is, Boaz is determined to do things the right way. He's determined to obey God, even if it means possibly losing Ruth. And so he's not going to take any shortcuts, which for us means we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. But fortunately, we don't have to wait too long because first thing in the morning, Boaz arranges a meeting between himself and the other kinsman redeemer and some of the elders of Bethlehem to sort everything out. And once he gets everything, everyone together, this is what he says. Chapter 4 and verse 3. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Now at first, the other guy is really keen to redeem it because he wants the extra land. That is, until Boaz tells him that if he redeems it, he also has to take Ruth as a wife in order to raise up an heir for Elimelech. At that point, he gets cold feet. Verse 6, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, how could this guy be endangering his estate? Well, it's because redemption was actually a really costly process. See, what would have happened is that this guy would have bought or redeemed a Limelech's property with his own money, but then he would have had to have given that property to a Limelech's heir as his inheritance. And so effectively, he would have borne all the cost of redeeming the property, but with no personal benefit. And this guy wasn't prepared to do that. And you can kind of understand that, can't you? Except that God commanded his people to do this. And back in that Deuteronomy 25 passage, the one that's listed on the outline, back there it said that if a kinsman redeemer wasn't prepared to provide an heir for a dead relative, that was an incredibly shameful thing. In fact, in cases like that, the heir was to go up to the guy in the presence of all the elders and she was to spit in his face. And then she was to take his sandals off and from that point on, his family was to be known as the family of the unsandaled. As a reminder of his unwillingness to obey God, by acting as a redeemer and by providing an heir for a dead relative. And I think that's at least part of the significance of this guy removing his sandal in verse 8, to signify that he'd rather take the shame of being known as the unsandaled than redeem Ruth and provide an inheritance for Elimelech's family. In any case, happily for us, this all frees things up for Boaz to redeem Elimelech's property and, of course, to marry Ruth, which is exactly what he does. As it turns out, Boaz does obey what God commanded. He acts as a redeemer. Verse 9. Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Malbites, Marlon's widow, as my wife. Why? In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Because of his loving kindness, God commanded his people to act as kinsmen redeemers for one another, to provide heirs for those who had died. 
a command that Boaz obeyed. Now at this point it's worth kind of reflecting on where we've been so far in Ruth because remember how the book started? It started with a famine. It started with death and weeping as first Elimelech died and then Marlon and Kilion also died. It started with emptiness, remember? As Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem with absolutely nothing, not even a name. It started with poverty. And by the beginning of chapter 3, it seemed as though the only hope for survival was for Naomi to sell the family property. But because of his loving kindness in situations like that, God provided redeemers. He, he commanded his people to act on behalf of one another for their good. And because of his loving kindness, remember back in chapter 2, God sovereignly ordered a series of fortunate events so as to bring Boaz onto the scene. A man who, as we've seen this morning, obeyed God's command. A man who modelled what it means to be a kinsman redeemer. In a sense, because of his loving kindness, God has provided redemption for Naomi and Ruth through Boaz. No longer are they weeping like at the start of the book. Now there's a wedding. No longer are they surrounded by death like at the start of the book, but now there's new life. They've gone from emptiness to fullness. They've gone from poverty to plenty because of this Redeemer provided by God. No wonder the women can say in verse 14, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman Redeemer. And notice where their focus is? It's not Boaz. They're not praising Boaz, are they? They're praising Yahweh. Because God has shown his loving kindness by providing a redeemer. A redeemer who was a man sent by God to act on behalf of his brothers. To act for the good of those who were like him in every way. A redeemer who acted in accordance with what God had commanded. One who was righteous and just. A redeemer who didn't balk at the thought that it might endanger his own estate but who redeemed his brothers at great personal cost. A redeemer who rescued his brothers from a hopeless situation and he brought them out of slavery and back into the family. A redeemer who provided them with refuge and safety and security, who provided them with plenty, blessings in abundance. A redeemer who provided them with an inheritance that they could never have hoped for. A redeemer who, in a sense, brought them from death to life. Now, is this all reminding you of someone? Because there are a lot of similarities between this kind of redeemer and Jesus, aren't there? And that's not accidental. Because you see, the kind of redeemer that was commanded in the law and the kind of redeemer that was modelled by Boaz, it's exactly the kind of redeemer that is fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He's our brother, the one we can turn to for help when we're in danger of being lost. Now, how does that work? Well, in the outline, there's a whole bunch of references that talk about Jesus acting as a kinsman redeemer in a whole bunch of different ways. You might want to look those up later on. But for now, let me just draw your attention to a couple of passages. In Hebrews, it says this. Since the children have flesh and blood... That's talking about us. Since we have flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, 
and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. You see that? Jesus shared in our humanity. He was made like us in every way. He took on flesh and blood. Why? So that he could act as our kinsman redeemer. So that he could act on our behalf. So that he could set us free from fear. So that he could redeem us from slavery to sin and death and the devil. So that he could take us from death to life. And how did he do all that? How did he set us free? How did he redeem us? Well, he brought us back at great personal cost. It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. How does Jesus take us from emptiness to fullness? How does he redeem us? It's by his death. The price that Jesus paid to buy us out of slavery and to bring us back into the family, it was his own blood. And so you know that the kind of redeemer that was commanded in the law the kind of redeemer that was modelled by Boaz, it is absolutely fulfilled in Jesus. Because Jesus is the redeemer who acted on behalf of us, his brothers. He's a redeemer who acted exactly in accordance with what God commanded. One who was perfectly righteous and just. Jesus is a redeemer who didn't balk at the thought of what it might cost him, but who redeemed us at an immeasurably great cost. He's a redeemer who rescued us from a hopeless situation, from being dead in sin. He's a redeemer who brought us out of slavery to sin and death at the cost of his own life. He's a redeemer who brought us back into his family as co-heirs with him to share in his inheritance. He's a redeemer who has provided us with safety and security and refuge, who has provided us with plenty and blessings in abundance. He's a redeemer who has given us an inheritance that we had no right to ever have hoped for. And so, friends, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left us without a kinsman redeemer. Let me pray. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we confess that on our own we find ourselves in a hopeless situation, surrounded by death and emptiness, enslaved by sin, and Father, needing rescue. And so, Father... It is with gratitude that we thank you for the way that you've shown your loving kindness by providing a redeemer, your son Jesus, that at the cost of his own life he would buy us back from slavery and bring us back into your family as co-heirs. Father, we pray, please help us to put our trust in him and in him alone. Amen.